Good morning, guys. Let's open our Bibles, Acts chapter 25. Good morning if you've joined us since the announcements online. Glad to have all of you uh, with us around the country, even in other parts uh, of the world through technology. Um, You know, I was just telling my wife this morning, I was lamenting the days of, you know, no computers, uh, no LED lights when the light bulb went out in your refrigerator and you could get one at the grocery store. Uh, now I got to get some special light online, uh, LED light, which I just replaced it six months ago, went out again. So they don't last as long, you know. And uh, everybody drove an old car, you know. We had a VW Squareback, smelled like all VWs smell. The old VWs, you know what I'm talking about. They all use some sort of... Uh, VOC uh, cancer-causing agent in them that uh, smelled, and you all know what they smelled like if you had one. And We had a yellow station wagon. Uh, it was uh, Easter egg yellow, and uh, old trucks, old brown, chocolate brown Celica, just different cars, you know, growing up that you had, and no computers in the house. And So I was lamenting those days and just saying how much easier life was, but At the same time, we couldn't simultaneously worship and study the Word of God with people on the other side of the world. So, the sword has two sides, and uh, we can choose to focus on the the good side of it. At least while we're here, when you go home, you got to fix stuff, then you can focus on the other side of the sword. Uh, But Acts chapter 25, let's get into it. In our section here this morning, the Apostle Paul is still in Roman custody And he's continuing to be uh, the target of Jewish accusations. One governor has moved on, and now there was a new one. And the proceedings against him, uh, once again, uh, will be taken up. And we'll see Paul now answering to Festus. And we have the benefit of time as to these events, but Paul had the benefit of faith. And we can learn a lot from what Paul went through. We're going to see how the Jews again accuse Paul. And then Festus seeks the help of Agrippa to, uh, in charging Paul. So we'll look at that. Acts chapter 25 verse 1 says this. Now when Festus had come to the province after three days, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. So Portius Festus, you obviously know my affinity uh, for that name, uh, I find it to be a very unique name. Uh, one of my favorite. There's there's great names in the Bible. This is this is one of those great names. He he became uh, governor of Judea around 59 A.D. and he ruled until about 62 A.D. and uh, history portrays him as generally good, uh, but uh, when you look. Here in the Bible, you see that he had some significant character flaws. And so the governors uh, at this time were staying primarily in Caesarea. And if you've ever been to Caesarea or seen pictures of Caesarea, you would want to stay there too. Uh, It's uh, probably the nicest place in Israel. Uh, Bibi has his house uh, in Caesarea, Netanyahu. uh, And the only golf course in Israel, if you're a golfer, is in Caesarea. Beautiful Mediterranean water, beaches, um, 
it's a, it's a, it's a nice place. It was then uh, as it is today. And so they stayed there, the Roman governors did, but everything at that time really was happening uh, up in Jerusalem. The center of the nation was Jerusalem, and Jerusalem and Israel were, were uh, really kind of the heart of this region that they were ruling over. And so um, as he comes into power and is in his new position, he needs to go up and meet with his constituency, and uh, particularly uh, the most important group in that mix uh, was the priesthood, the high priest and the members of the Sanhedrin. And so Portius Festus goes up uh, to Jerusalem, and the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul. So the first thing, Paul's been in custody for a few years now, the first thing it seems that they bring up uh, or one of the first things, is the Apostle Paul. Again, that's how much, that is how opposed to the gospel they were, how opposed to Paul that they were. Uh, they talk about, you know, an ability to carry a grudge. They had one. Verse 3, And they asked favor against him that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. Uh, I don't imagine those people uh, were still trying to complete their vow of not eating or drinking until they had killed Paul. Uh, they were probably all dead if they did so. Uh, but they still have plans to do so, to kill Paul. And so, as I said, Paul has been in custody for a couple of years, but they have not forgotten. Verse 4, And Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority come, or those who have authority among you go, uh, go down with me and accuse this man to see if there's any fault in him. And when he had remained among them uh, more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. And when he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about <clears throat> And laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. So once again, they have these proceedings against the Apostle Paul. And Paul's answer, if you notice, was quite simple. It was the same as it had always, it had always been that he hadn't offended religiously or civilly. So, so Paul had done nothing wrong, nothing against the Romans, and nothing uh, against the Jews. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? Now, Paul had to be thinking, I thought that's what we were doing. You know, you're, you're the governor, you're on the judgment seat, the Jews are here, I'm here, uh, why do we need to go there to do what we're already doing here? So it was, he, he could see right away that, that you know, this was a, some, some sort of tactic, uh, and Paul was smart enough to know that, uh, I don't think Festus necessarily understood all of this. But Paul was smart enough to understand that uh, if they wanted to kill him before, uh, that they still wanted to kill him, 
And all this was was a tactic to get him back to Jerusalem or close to Jerusalem where they could ambush him and kill him. And so he, Festus, wanted to do the Jews a favor. He's new in his position. And, and even though the Romans ruled uh, over, over the Jews, um, they very much uh, wanted to do so uh, with the least resistance. And the, the means to that often was through the hierarchy, uh, the priesthood, the Sanhedrin. So, you know, if you did a few favors and you got those people on your side, uh, then your job was going to be, number one, a lot easier. Uh, number two, you were going to be a lot more successful. And Festus, like uh, so many Romans, no doubt his goal wasn't to be the governor of Judea. That, you know, uh, that's kind of like, I don't know, you know, they, they, they make you the, the governor of, you know, some small uh, uh, or the mayor of some small town in a corner of Colorado or something like that with a population of eight. You know, it's, it's, not, it, it's not exactly the, the loftiest position within the empire. And so no doubt he aspired to other things, uh, as they all seem, most of them seem to have done. And so, you know, if you could get the people to play nice with you and you could make them happy, do them a favor, they do you a favor, peace and it looks really good uh, to the empire. And so that's what he wanted. So if he could do them a few favors and they could help him be more successful, then, you know, in his mind, uh, that was a good thing. So he's eager to work with them. And if they wanted Paul up there, while he's not necessarily, he's naive perhaps to why they needed Paul there, um, he's trying to, to accomplish that. And Paul, though, as I said, Paul could figure things out. And Paul says, I stand, verse 10, at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. So Paul had had enough by this point, and he tells it like it is, and then he appeals to Caesar, and uh, I'm pretty sure they didn't see this coming. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they, they, they just thought the Apostle Paul would just stand there and take it or have to eventually give in and go up to Jerusalem and Maybe someone would kill him or they would just leave him in jail and he would get tired of being in jail and then he would just say, fine. But they, they didn't understand uh, the, the spirit and the wisdom of the Apostle Paul. If you turn with me over to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus was sending the twelve out. And he gives them some instructions, but clearly uh, some of the things that he talks to them about um, would be primarily for the future. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he says this, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. We've got to remember that, that as the Lord sends us out, don't, don't, you know, don't forget that you are sheep in the midst of wolves. And a lot of times, you know, you, you let your guard down. At least I do. 
And you think, oh, surely, surely they're going to do the right thing. Surely they, you know, you're in a world full of wolves. Now, hopefully some of those wolves will turn to Christ, and that's a big part of your job out there. But they're wolves nonetheless. And so he says, therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. <laughs> Let me just tell you what. That, um, when you look at that, you say, yes, I want to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. But it's pretty, you probably discovered <laughs> it could be difficult to do. You know, because when you uh, want to be a serpent, you're a dove. And when you want to be a dove, you're a serpent. You know, you seem to always get it backwards. At least I do. It's tough to, to strike that, that balance. But Paul does it here so well. You know, he knew exactly, he knew exactly which way to play and, and when, through the Holy Spirit, to do that. And Jesus continues on in Matthew 10, verse 17. He says, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them, to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And so we need to rely on the Spirit of God. We need to depend moment by moment on the Spirit of God. To remember what the environment is that we're in. To remember how we're to approach it. To have uh, wisdom, but a certain... Uh, peace and, and gentleness about us at the same time as much as we possibly can, and to, to know how to, to uh, walk both uh, or incorporate both of those approaches. And so that's what, what Paul does here. And again, I think that they were completely shocked, and he continues on. He says, if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. So Paul knew there was a, a danger of him going the wrong direction. Not in terms of death, but, but, but in terms of what God wanted to accomplish through him. And at this time, that would have been back to Jerusalem. Because he had already witnessed there, they had rejected that, and now they simply wanted to kill him. And so he knew that. He says, I, I don't have a problem with dying, but as a Roman citizen, I'm now going to exercise my right in a case which is potentially a capital case to appeal uh, to Caesar. Now, this was quite rare, uh, but you had the right to do that as a citizen. And... and Paul, again, knew when to exercise his rights, and he did so typically that he might ultimately further the gospel. That, that was his ultimate purpose. He says, look, I, I don't 
I don't object to dying. He didn't want to die having done nothing wrong, but he didn't necessarily object to dying. But his focus wasn't even on that. His focus was on the furtherance of the gospel. And as believers, we have certain rights. We, we enjoy in this country, I would suggest to you, the greatest rights of individuals that uh, exist not only today in any country, but ha- that have ever existed in citizens' uh, in, in history throughout the world. In other words, the rights that you enjoy as an American are, are not only the, the, the most powerful rights uh, today in the world of any citizens of any country, but of any citizens of any country at any time in history. We, we enjoy those things and, and, and we forget them. The media you know, wants to tell you what a terrible country you live in uh, but listen, why are there 40,000 migrants in Denver? Why did 50,000 migrants come to New York City last year? Why did 35,000 or 40,000 migrants go to Chicago? Because they don't watch uh, CNN. They know the truth. They know what you enjoy here. Now, as I've shared with you before, the lie that is being told to them is is that they're just going to come here and it's just going to all be given to them. You know, and to a degree, unfortunately, there's a lot uh, being given, but but there's not really a great life awaiting migrants in this country. There are things that could be done in this country that that could be the case for the right kind of folks that wanted to come and work and create a life, but that's, that's not what's happening. As I've shared with you before, we're basically setting up an opportunity, uh, almost a guarantee of failure amongst a whole bunch of other issues. But the reason that these people want to come here is because of what you have. And you didn't, you know, you didn't get to choose where you were born. You in God's mercy and His grace, happen to be born where you were born or happen to make your way to this country if you made your way to this country and you did so uh, or you do so in the enjoyment of great rights. But we've got to know how to use those rights not simply for our benefit but more importantly for the benefit of the gospel. And Paul, at his time, enjoyed the greatest rights as a citizen in his time of any nation in the world. The most powerful citizenship in the first century was Roman citizenship. And Paul was born a Roman citizen. And so what he did was he took what he had, what God had given him, what he could not have chosen for himself, but what God gave him, and he used it not so much for himself, but for the furtherance of the gospel. And so we've got to use our rights. We've got to be, first of all, aware of the rights that we have. And then we've got to use them strategically through prayer for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. And if you don't exercise your rights, there is a high likelihood that if enough people don't exercise those rights, then those rights have a way of disappearing. You know, uh, there are plenty of people 
who disagree with you, and in order to accomplish what they want to accomplish, uh, unfortunately would be very happy to see the rights of other people that disagree with them go away. That's the age in which we live. We no longer live in a time where you have people who, who disagree with one another, but who recognize the importance of that disagreement. We no longer have minds who can think in, in such a way that, that uh, they understand that, that freedom is what matters, that these rights are what matters, and that if they can be taken from one, they can be taken from another later. They can't see that. They see their ideology. We live in an age of ideologies. I saw an interesting quotation. I was just talking uh, with my daughter about it the other day. It was from Aristotle, and he said that the, the sign of an educated mind is to be able to listen to opposing ideas without necessarily agreeing with them paraphrase very slightly his point was this that educated people were like the Bereans they could listen to things they could research them and then they could decide for themselves whether or not they were true but today you have people that oh I can't listen to you if if I don't agree with you and I have to run to cover of my safe space I can't I can't possibly endure an idea that, that I'm not in agreement with. It's a small mind. And we're in the age of small minds. We've come out of an age of great minds and great men and women in this country and in history to an age of small minds that is only capable of entertaining its own ideology, its present ideology, at the expense of everyone else. Listen, I don't have a problem with other ideas. When you know the truth, you don't, you're not afraid of other ideas. As long as people will openly discuss those ideas, humbly and, and, and with graciousness discuss those things, that's, the, that's one of the greatest things that we enjoy as human beings. But gradually we're seeing that disappear, uh, not just in our culture, but in cultures uh, around the world. And so Paul understood these things. He understood all of this, these rights that he had. He understood the importance uh, of these rights, and he exercised them with great wisdom. And, you know, it's interesting, but a lot of times, you know, you can look at the Apostle Paul, and you, you can lose sight of the fact that he was an actual person. So in the midst of all this was a person who has been in custody now for a couple of years, who has known that people were actively working to try and kill him, who knew that, who had in himself this deep sense of purpose and longing to preach the gospel, who wasn't necessarily afraid to die, but also at the same time was going to take normal steps to legally preserve his life and still accomplish his mission. And so that's what we see Paul doing here, much like any one of us uh, would have done in a similar situation. In verse 12, Festus, when he had conferred with uh, the council, answered, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. (laughs) Festus answers with this false bravado, you have appealed to Caesar, 
well, then, buddy, you're going to Caesar. You know, you better believe you're going to Caesar. Here, here's the problem, and we'll see it in just a moment. He's playing games with Paul and keeping Paul in custody and threatening or asking to send Paul back to Jerusalem, which would have gotten Paul killed, not giving him a fair trial. There's nothing to any of the accusations, forcing Paul to appeal to Caesar, and now he's got to send him to Caesar, but what does he tell Caesar? He's got no charges. So he's sending a guy to, to, to uh, the most powerful man in the world, and he's at great risk of looking like a fool and wasting his time. I'm sure the last thing that Caesar wanted was some governor in Judea sending him some guy that, you know, uh, for a parking ticket. And not even that. Wasting his time. So he was on the verge of being forced to basically commit career suicide, and Paul knew that. That's why Paul played the card that he did. He's, you know, he put him in a very difficult spot, and he needed to be in that spot. Verse 13, after some days, so, so Festus, uh, he didn't really know what to do. He just, all right, whatever, uh, I'll think about it. And so after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. I mentioned uh, Agrippa before. This is Agrippa II. Uh, he and his sister Bernice come for an official visit with the new governor. Agrippa and Bernice were siblings of Drusilla that we talked about last time, who was married to the previous governor, uh, Felix. Uh, Agrippa and Bernice were the Roman client king and queen uh, of various uh, regions kind of changed a little bit in, in this part of the world. Agrippa ruled parts of Syria, uh, then Galilee, then uh, the area of Perea, which was east of the Jordan. He was also then given the authority. The Romans had taken the authority away from the Jews uh, and given it usually to some uh, client king or uh, governor to appoint the high priests. Well, at this time, Agrippa II uh, was the one who had the authority to actually appoint the high priest in Jerusalem. And uh, these two were, um, they were, uh, they were a lot. Uh, the rumors, which Josephus actually repeats, is, is that they were incestuously involved. Uh, so they were not only brother and sister, uh, but they were also a, a couple. Uh, and Bernice actually later um, you know, she got tired of Agrippa and, uh, how do we say, she swiped right on Titus Vespasian, who became the emperor uh, of the Roman Empire. Uh, so she was, she traded up. Uh, but, you know, uh, these were really interesting people when you go back. Um, extremely uh, messy, ungodly, power-hungry people. And, you know, Paul's just sitting in his villa uh, actually just enjoying Herod's pool uh, in Caesarea, and God is just bringing all of these people in. They think he's coming before uh, them, but they're really coming before him to hear the gospel. They see it backwards. And so now these two show up, verse 14, 
And when they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. And when the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. So, you know, he gives him the kind of short version of the story. He says, listen, Agrippa Bernice, uh, I got this guy and I can't find anything. I, I can't, I don't, I can't get anything uh, on him. The only issue seems to be uh, he, he talks about a certain Jesus. What a sad commentary on Festus, just the way that that's worded there. A certain, he talked about a certain Jesus who, who died, but Paul insisted he was actually uh, alive. So, as I said, Festus was not working to be the governor of Judea. Guaranteed, he had higher aspirations, spent his life working his way up through government. He didn't have time to figure out, you know, who Jesus was or any, anything uh, related to really any religion. He worked hard to know the most important man in the world, Augustus. He worked hard to, to know the, the most powerful man politically of his day. But he didn't bother to find out about the most important man in human history. That, that was his mistake. Let me tell you something. Life really is all about who you know. Life is really all about who you know. But be very discerning on who you desire to get to know. People love to name drop. Don't you love that? Well, you know, I saw so-and-so or I had dinner with so-and-so, you know. I've met so many people that knew so many famous people, you know. I've even run across a few famous people in my life, but I'm pretty sure it did nothing for me. Didn't make me a better person. Didn't make me anything, any better at anything. I just happened to run across those people at you know, some point in time. But people really you know, uh, like to impress and like to be impressed um, who, who they know. And some can legitimately get to know some very powerful people. You know, work their way into... Uh, in, in, into places of power. And I suspect that Festus was, you know, working his plan in life. Working his plan to get closer and closer and closer to the most important, the most famous, the most powerful people of his day. But that's the problem. 
They were only number one people and the most powerful people of that time. And most people don't even know who they are anymore. Most people, you know the name Porsche's Festus, but in, you know, an hour or two, you'll be like, what? You know, Porsche Ferrari, I don't know what he was talking about. You know, these people are forgotten. But a certain Jesus, that name sticks because that is the most important name in human history. And What's interesting to me is, is that Paul had clearly preached Christ and his resurrection. I don't think Paul just said, oh, and a certain Jesus, and he's the, the way Festus does it here. You know that Paul clearly preached Christ and the resurrection. But Festus didn't seem to get it. Because Festus didn't want to get it. Because Festus didn't see the importance He could only see the importance of politics and rulers and power. He couldn't see real power. He had the inability to understand true power and where it came from. And and so even though Paul preached him, this is really all that he got about it, got out of it. You know, a certain Jesus, Paul thinks he's alive. Everybody else thinks that he's dead, you know, uh, but I have no information really to give you. Verse 20, now... I guarantee you, uh, Agrippa and Bernice knew about a certain Jesus. You see, they had Jewish connections. They had connections to the land. And what I think probably happened is, is when he said a certain Jesus, uh, there was a certain gulp. Oh, wow. You know, you know, because they knew. Oh, whoa. They knew what they were entering into here. And so he, he says, look, I need your help. Verse 20, I was uncertain of such questions. I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. And then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. He was, Is that, too, am I too eager? Sorry, tomorrow? Yeah, okay. And uh, so... Uh, He's wanting a little bit of help, as I said, to put together these charges in no time like the present. So the next day, verse 23, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp, and they entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city. At Festus's uh, command, Paul was brought in. So what, what a contrast. What a picture. The Bible does such a good job, if you're willing to really look closely at it, of, uh, uh, of creating the scene. And Paul is brought before Festus, Agrippa, and Bernice, uh, and all of these uh, other military commanders and prominent people in the city. And, and, you know, there's this whole, they're all probably in their, you know, expensive robes and uniforms and everything else. And then they, they bring in Paul. Paul, we know from Scripture alone, was not a very big person. He didn't have a commanding presence. You know, it wasn't like uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson coming in, you know, to give a speech. That wasn't Paul. (laughs) 
He was a little guy. And the scripture tells us that while he was very gifted as a rabbi, while he was, had incredible intelligence and, and obviously was a man full of, most importantly, full of the Holy Spirit, he, was, he didn't have this powerful voice. You know, he, he, uh, he didn't have this commanding presence or even this, this, this look of a ruler about him. So you have this really, this great contrast between, between these people and, and the accused. And yet don't be fooled by that for a moment because all of the power lies here with the accused because it is the Holy Spirit that is working through Paul and who is going to be speaking through the Apostle Paul. And it's interesting Who is viewed as great and who is forgotten to history? In Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. It's it's important to remember these things, you know, particularly uh, you and I, uh, most of us are not going to be seen as great individuals in the eyes of the world. We're not the Festuses or the Augustuses or, or Agrippas or Bernices or even the commanders. We're not even the prominent people of the city. There's a lot more prominent people, you know. And um, that's a good thing. My encouragement to you is don't seek out prominence. Just do what God calls you to do and then... Go back to your cell. And that's what what Paul does here. And it's important to remember who is truly great and who is but forgotten by history. Verse 35 of Mark chapter 10, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. (laughs) So, James and John come to Jesus like Santa Claus. Santa, do for us whatever we want. Uh, Jesus, when he got up off the floor after he fell over laughing, it doesn't say that, but <laughs> he, I'm sure he didn't. He said to them, now Jesus just kind of plays, what, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, oh, well... Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. That's all. (laughs) But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. 
Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So, you know, the world is pursuing greatness. And we have that here. We see that here. And we see the contrast of that and the way of Christ lived out in the life of the Apostle Paul. He wasn't trying to be somebody great. He was simply doing what God had called him to do, and in the process of that became arguably the greatest, if not one of the greatest servants of the Lord in in history. You know, uh, there are no churches named, uh, you know, after Festus, <laughs> right? There are no uh, books in our Bible written by Festus and, and, and the Bibles of people around the world. So now we know what is true greatness. And true greatness is, is not to be enjoyed, I believe, by us. Probably not even in, in our own time, but in, in the kingdom of God. And so... Paul, you know, uh, he's before this crew. And uh, I would say this, that many whose circumstances are great uh, today, they're going to be forgotten tomorrow. And uh, I know that there are many unknown servants today that are going to be remembered forever. And so here's Paul, verse 24. Festus said, King Agrippa, Uh, and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after... The examination has taken place. I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not specify the charges against him. (laughs) This is very odd because Paul has been declared innocent three times. He was declared innocent um, in Acts chapter 23 verse 9 before the Sanhedrin. In Acts chapter 23 verse 29... Uh, he was declared innocent. Uh, And in Acts chapter 25, verse 25, right here. So three times, a couple of governors um, and the uh, Jewish council all declared him innocent. Yet he's still determined to send him to the emperor. So he says, hey, help me come up with something. I mean, you know, if we were really wanted to make the Bible short, we would just say that. He, he would have just, it wasn't so wordy. Just help me come up with something uh, so we can send the, be done with this guy and get rid of him and, you know, get back to having our parties and things like that. So, uh, you know, it was really interesting when you, when you see the injustice and yet Paul doesn't spend all of his time focused on that. Uh, he, knows, he knows he's on a mission and that mission is taking him west Uh, not east and he's going to Rome and the Lord is working you know there's a lot to consider here for us today 
We look at it and we say, well, you know, that was 2,000 years ago. But, you know, there's a lot of things that haven't changed, that aren't going to change. We who enjoy similar, if not greater, rights than, than the Apostle Paul, we have to know how to and we have to use those for God's glory. All the while keeping in mind that life is really about who we know, Jesus Christ. And remembering who is truly great as we do so and as we encounter people that may be very powerful and great in this life. But what makes us great is not us in particular, but the message that we carry. But there's also a lesson here that's unwritten and and unspoken. And that is the lesson of God's mercy upon us. And Paul's ministry on the mission field was a difficult one. And arguably, Paul's greatest challenges were ahead. And I have to wonder if two years in Caesarea wasn't God just giving him an opportunity to recover. To recover, to be refreshed, and to be further strengthened for what he was about to be called to do. So a lot of times we're in situations like that, and things might be stalled, things might even seem unfair, or, well, if, 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 you know, if this was happening now instead of a year from now or two years from now or whatever, well, maybe just take a step back and focus on maybe the hidden grace or the grace that you're missing that God is extending to you right now because you're going to need it then. Because God is preparing you for something else, strengthening you for the future. Next time we're going to see Paul's amazing witness uh, before these people. And, uh, oh, I'm getting excited. Uh, you want to just do it now? <laughs> no, we'll save it for, we'll save it for next time. Uh, let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you. So <laughs> we thank you so much uh, for your word. We're grateful for your word. The encouragement that is there. How it washes us, it cleanses us, it, it teaches us how to walk in holiness, how to walk in joy and fulfillment with you, how to, how to walk in a way that is pleasing to you and that results in all that you desire to do in us, through us. And so, Lord, I just pray for each person here today. I pray for your peace to be upon them. Refreshment upon them for a hard week, a hard month, a hard year, decade, whatever the case may be. Refresh them, restore them, strengthen them, and take them forward in you. While we pray here this morning, If you've come in and you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, today is the day. Now is the time. God is calling to you. The Spirit is drawing you. 
telling you that Jesus isn't a certain Jesus. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, come in the flesh, who died on a cross and bore your sins. He is the most important person, the focal point of human history. All history looks to Him. All life looks to Him. Everything hangs on Him. And as God's Word says, in Him all things consist and are held together. And God is drawing you to Him. To make Him your Lord and Savior. To receive His sacrifice for yourself. To be forgiven of your sins. To receive eternal life. To be reconciled to God. To know that you'll spend an eternity with God, not apart from God in hell. And to serve God in this life as you were created to do. And if you haven't repented of your sins, ask Christ into your life. I want to do that with you this morning right now. Would you lift your hand wherever you are so we can pray together as we wrap up here? God bless you. Anybody else, if you want to pray, we're going to pray together as we finish up. God is speaking to you. You don't be afraid. You just slip up your hand, and then we're going to pray, and God is going to hear your prayer. And Jesus Christ said you'll be born again. You'll be born anew of the Spirit. If you haven't received Christ, you're dead, but he wants to give you life you've raised your hand if you haven't if you're watching online you want to pray let's pray together you can pray along with me father i realize that that i've sinned and that i'm a sinner that i was born in sin and that my sin has created a wall between me and you separated us and though i've tried i haven't been able to fix that haven't been successful at all. But I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. I'm sorry for my sins. And I receive his sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for taking away my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that I now am yours, that I belong to you. I ask you to give me your spirit to help me to live for you, to strengthen me. And I look forward to an eternity in your glory with you. Father, we pray for these who have prayed this morning that they would be strengthened in their walk with you. And Lord, we pray for many more in these days in which we live to come to the knowledge of your Son. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Father, bless your people. Amen.